Hello and welcome to A History of Alexander the Great Remastered Episode 2 Squabbles You could characterise the whole of classical Greece as a series of squabbles amongst themselves and that this is the reason they never achieved anything long-lasting. It's a drastic oversimplification, but one I would stand by. As the Greeks entered the world of the 470s BC, it was a bright new world. There was still the threat of Persia, but they had just beaten mighty armies. They were united against a common enemy and were victorious. Things could have gone very differently for Greece, but things fell apart within 50 years, and within 150 they were being ruled by the power of Macedon a power that in the 470s was completely irrelevant. I guess you could say this happened because they were Greeks. They were fiercely competitive in everything they did. They continuously fought amongst themselves, not for riches or territory, but for hegemony. They wanted to be considered the most important Greeks, and were very reluctant to submit to anyone. If they could not lead, they would not be part of the team. We've seen this in the Persian Wars already, with Argos and Syracuse. They fought bitterly amongst themselves, draining away their resources and manpower, allowing the other powers of Persia, Thessaly, Macedon, and eventually Rome to take advantage of them. In this episode we'll chart just how the Greeks broke apart from their preeminence at the dawn of the 5th century. The first questions facing classical Greece were two. Should they press the war against Persia, and should Athens be allowed to rebuild its defences? Sparta did not want Athens to rebuild its walls, saying that it could easily be used as a base by the Persians if they invaded again. The only walled towns needed to be on the Peloponnese, where they could retreat like they did so successfully in the recent campaign. Athens didn't like this idea very much, and sent messengers to talk it over with Sparta, asking why they didn't ask every other city to tear down their walls if that was the case. This was not a serious discussion though, it was delaying tactics. All the while, the Athenians were building walls, and once they were high enough, they broke off talks with the Spartans, told them they already had walls, and dared them to do anything about it. The Spartan reaction was quite a confused one. If the Athenians wanted walls that badly, why not just say so? Oh well, best to leave these strange Athenians to their strange ways. They had bigger priorities. The Spartan subject peoples, the Helots, essentially state-owned slaves, were revolting and they wanted to focus on that. They turned down leadership of the campaign against Persia. This leadership was then offered to Athens, who gladly took it. The Delian League was founded a year after the Persian invasion. It was a group of Greek cities with Athens as their leader who would all contribute either money or ships to a collective treasury based on the island of Delos. 
Together, the group fought successfully against the Persians for 30 years, taking back numerous cities along the coast of Asia Minor and making ventures to Cyprus and even Egypt. Things began to change around 450. There was a fierce debate about whether a peace was actually made between the Greeks and the Persians, known as the Peace of Callias. It is mentioned a lot by 4th century Athenians, but no mention of it is made in Thucydides. If it did take place, the Persians agreed to keep out of the Aegean, and away from the west coast of Asia Minor. It was a huge victory for the Greeks. They had won the Persian War. Here is when things begin to take a dark turn. Sending ships into the field was really expensive, and most cities in the League now sent in money, which the Athenians used to pay for ships. This meant that the Athenians had a very powerful navy, while the rest of the alliance was, well, weak. Some cities tried to leave the League, but the Athenians used force to keep them in. It became not a League of Equals with Athens at the head, but an Athenian empire. The treasury was moved to Athens, from Delos, where Pericles' building programme was funded by this wealth. The most famous result of this is the Parthenon on the Acropolis. Greeks began to view Athens with suspicion and resentment, as Athens interfered more and more with more and more cities. Corinth in particular took offence to this, and begged Sparta to do something about it. Eventually, Sparta gave in, itself fearing Athenian power, and one of the most famous wars in history began, the Peloponnesian War. The Peloponnesian War is hugely famous, and I've received many requests to do a future podcast on it, something I am considering. This does not change the fact that the Peloponnesian War is one of the most, if not the most, overrated war in history. It was fought between small states with small armies. The huge Athenian-Sicilian invasion was only 5,000 men strong, the song is a single Roman legion. It's not even like the results changed things. There was very little difference in the years after the peace, besides Athens being weakened for a few decades. It is amazing that this war has earned a place in world history, alongside the Punic Wars, the Crusades, the World Wars, you know, actually significant events. Well, That isn't entirely true. There is one reason why the Peloponnesian War is as famous as it is. Thucydides. Thucydides is, without a doubt, the historian's historian. A brilliant writer who is expertly able to turn people completely to his way of thinking. He had a brilliant mind and is the reason history is so focused on wars and politics. All the social study and ethnography of Herodotus is gone, as are the oral history and the strange anecdotes, all replaced with Thucydides' 
verified research and cool analysis. The way his work is written is far more important than any information contained within it. But this is not the Thucydides fan club hour. This is a history of classical Greece, and so the information within the book is of great value. The first stage of the war, known as the Archidamian War, lasted from 431 to a peace treaty, the Peace of Nicias, signed in 421. Athens had a bad start. In the second year of the war, a deadly plague hit Athens, severely weakening her manpower. In 429, the plague would claim the life of Pericles, the great Athenian statesman who had pushed for war with Sparta. Sparta made yearly invasions of Attica, the land around Athens, while Athens raided Laconia, the land around Sparta, by sea. They both attempted other invasions, but the war was essentially a stalemate. Athens dominated the sea, Sparta the land, and neither could gain a critical advantage. They both made very bold ventures. Brasidas was an excellent general on the Spartan side in particular. What followed next was an uneasy peace, with neither side actually implementing the terms of the peace. This peace, though Cold War would be a better phrase, lasted until 413. Though this peace contained the most famous part of the war, the Sicilian Expedition. The popular Athenian politician and general Alcibiades pushed for an invasion of Sicily to increase Athenian power, while Nicias pushed for them to focus on Sparta. The riches that would come from victory in Sicily were enough to persuade the people to vote for the campaign, which launched in 415, but ended in disaster. Alcibiades was exiled for a scandal involving damaging statues of Hermes, and he ran to Sparta and gave advice on how they could win the war. Not because he was a traitor to his country, but because his country had been taken over by traitors, and he wanted to save it. Right. Anyway, he told them that they should fortify Decelia in Attica, to besiege Athens, and also ask the Persian king for money. This would allow them to use a fleet and challenge Athens on the water. The Spartans did both these things, and in the final stage of the war, from 413 to 404, known as the Decelian War, Persian money decisively tilted the balance of power in Sparta's favour. Athens was experiencing internal turmoil as revolution took place in 411, a very bizarre series of events in which the Athenian assembly voted itself out of existence to be replaced by a council of 400 and the 5,000. This was short-lived and soon the democracy was restored. The crushing defeat of Athens at Aegospotami led to Athenian surrender and the destruction of the Athenian Empire. Sparta was now the great power that the other states feared, but the real significance of the war was that it once again brought the Persians back into Greek politics. Sparta had very limited manpower and relied on Persian money. 
she was very adventurous in these years, joining a Persian civil war and marching a 10,000 strong army to the walls of Babylon before the claimant to the throne was killed and the Greeks had to make their way back in a daring exhibition, described by Xenophon. Sparta also fought some wars trying to liberate the Greek cities in Asia from Persia, who had managed to bring itself back into the Aegean when the Athenian Empire collapsed. Athens experienced yet more turmoil, having another oligarchic revolution, in which the city was brutally led by the Thirty Tyrants, before they were deposed and the democracy restored. This was a very fragile time for Athens, and she did not have enough self-confidence to allow criticism of the regime. Such questions are the real test of democracy and freedom, and the man who paid the price was the man who asked too many questions, Socrates. He would be a huge influence on later writers, his student Plato, and Plato's student, Aristotle. Aristotle's student would be Alexander. The result of Spartan aggression was the Corinthian War, in which the four other powerful Greek states, Athens, Thebes, Corinth and Argos, backed by Persia, fought Sparta. Persia swapped sides and Sparta won the war in 385, though greatly weakened, suffering from low manpower, perhaps having only a thousand or two thousand soldiers left. Sparta continued to be highly aggressive and in 371 would be defeated by the Thebans at Leuctra. Spartan power was shattered. The helots were freed, and Thebes became the dominant Greek city. Thessaly, to the north, led by Jason, would also be a great power until he was assassinated in 370. Athens tried rebuilding a second naval confederacy, and achieved mild success, but became obsessed with Amphipolis, a town near the Hellespont, crucial to grain supplies from the Black Sea. Athens alienated many potential friends through this imperial obsession. Throughout the 360s, Thebes focused mainly on keeping Sparta, Thessaly and Athens weak. The wars themselves are far too complicated to actually describe in detail, at least here. Our main historian for this period is Xenophon, who continued Thucydides' history from about 410 and has been writing up until 362, at which point he gave up. In his final sentence, he says that at this point Greek history grew too complicated for him to attempt to write it down. He asked any other writer to continue the story. One did, but tragically, it does not survive. The man who wrote this work, Theopompus, would have described these wars continuing throughout the 350s and 340s BC. But what is truly significant is the name of this work, Philippica, The Age of Philip. If you've enjoyed today's show, be sure to check us out online, thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com, 
Facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast, Twitter.com forward slash the history of pod, YouTube.com forward slash the history of podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the show, don't be afraid to send me an email, the history of podcast at gmail.com. Join us next week when we continue the story, charting the rise of Philip. <laughs>